This episode of Creativity in Captivity is sponsored by the Curtis Theater in Brea, California. Presenting Dawn Reed's The Never Too Late Show on Saturday, May 11th. Tickets are available at the Curtis Theater website. Get ready for insight and inspiration on the creative process from an array of artists, writers, and visionaries on May 9th, when Season 7 of Creativity in Captivity kicks off. In the meantime, please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at creativityincaptivity.fun. This is Creativity in Captivity. I'm Pat Hazel. My guest today is one of the jazz world's most acclaimed vocalists. Having earned a Soul Train Award for Best Traditional Jazz Performance, she has performed in more than 30 music festivals worldwide and in such notable venues as the Blue Note, Jazz at Lincoln Center, and Blues Alley. She has performed with musical luminaries like the Duke Ellington Orchestra, the Henry Mancini Institute Orchestra, and Michael Feinstein. Coming up is my dialogue with dynamic vocalist and soulful jazz nightingale, Nicole Henry. That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free, you're captive to a mystery. Curse of creativity. Lala. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, thank you and congratulations on your show. Great to be with you. Thanks. Well, you are so good at interpreting songs that probably people say you could sing the phone book, and I won't I won't make you do that. Three, five, four, oh five. Yeah, right now. <laughs> well, I was thinking more each name alphabetically. Like right. you know, <laughs> Anderson, know, know. Aaron's, Albertson. But I know that if somebody arranged it, you would you would take that up. <laughs> And probably for the right amount of money. But now we're talking. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Do you have uh, songs that when you began were your go to songs to have people notice you? I think in the beginning, especially like in high school, was my beginning, really, pretty much middle school and high school. I think there were like Whitney Houston songs. So, really, any Whitney Houston song, whether it be Saving All My Love for You or whatever was hot that week. But I think. The fact that I really don't have a go-to song that kind of explains who I am, which as you asked me that question, I was like, yeah, either I'm hard-headed or I have short memory or I'm just like so in the moment that I'm like, wait, what's my favorite song? Wait, what am I? Like, sometimes I just forget where I am in life because I get so caught up in life and being right here right now that like sometimes certain songs fit the day. It just depends what I'm really feeling like. And uh, the other thing is too, I, I forget what, what the crowd pleasers are sometimes. I just know what I love and what I love singing. So sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm like, tell me what's, what do you want to hear? What do you want to hear? I think your being in the moment is a little bit why it's so amazing to watch you sing is that you're singing the moments and communicating them directly to the audience in such a heartfelt way. That's a gift to be in the present when you pick up that microphone for that part of life it is it is it is the gift to be in the moment i i think it is it's so important to be in the moment I, because even i'll go to see a show or and i videotape the show or part of the show and i'm like wait when am i ever really going to watch this video again it's like no just watch it right now where you are i'm always as an entertainer you look out in the audience and you appreciate that people want to videotape and you're like all right i hope you're just sharing this like at your next dinner party or something like that because the fact is i want you to be right here right now with me i want to see you i want to feel you i want you to feel me right now so you know being in the moment is great so you mentioned starting in high school what prior to that did you have influences from church or anywhere along the way yeah. Growing up, we listened to a lot of music, particularly on the weekends. Thank God. I'm just really grateful that my mom loved 
listening to music. Um, we listened to gospel a lot growing up, you know, old school gospel, like Jane, Reverend Clay Evans and Aretha Franklin's original uh, Amazing Grace album. So we sang along to that. And then my mom would listen to her favorites from the 60s and the 70s, like the Temptations and the Four Tops and the Commodores and the Spinners. And then uh, we were just talking about this last night because my mom's visiting me right now. She would listen to Sylvester, which I don't know if you know anything about Sylvester, but he had two tons of fun. So we were always singing Sylvester's music and, and just great disco and, and soul and gospel. So when you hear that music, it, they're just so full of feeling, you know what I mean? They're so, they, the intent was to make you feel and to make you groove and forget about everything else. And so I, I'm really grateful for that. But then I also, my mom also played classical piano. So we had a piano in the house and we would also listen to classical music on the weekends in the early morning part before the dancing began. <laughs> and, um, and then my dad's sister, Debbie Henry is her name. She's a singer. She's been a full-time singer as, as long as I can remember. That's always been her job. And so she put out some albums in the late 70s, early 80s maybe. And we knew those songs growing up. So I would sing along to my aunt. So yeah, we, there was music everywhere. And you could see that it was possible. Like if you have an aunt that puts out a record, this is a career path in a way. You go, oh, that's a possibility. Well, that's the ironic thing is that I didn't think, I didn't know what the career path was. I thought you just got discovered and that was it. So I, when I went to college, I never studied music because I was like, well, I don't want to teach music. Why would I study music? And if you're going to sing, you just get discovered. So I'll just keep singing around when I can. That was all I, that's all I knew. I didn't know, you know, I didn't go to an art school, even though we had art, thank God, in my school. So I didn't really know that there was a pathway to doing it, but I, I figured it out <laughs> along the way up. But you had no formal training then at all. School choirs, church choirs. I played cello, so I kind of had an understanding about music and theory. Um, but no, no real formal training until probably about eight years ago. I finally really settled into some great vocal coaches that I'm, I'm so grateful for. I still I have a, a lesson next week. I still study about it. Yeah, fantastic. Well, it is interesting to discover what your passion is and realize you want to support it or be a kind of a lifetime learner on that subject. It's really exciting. And it's also, if you're like me, I, I love learning. So it's pretty amazing what the body can do, what the mind can do. Yeah. I'm pretty fascinated by knowledge. <laughs> well, you're always touring. And I know right before we started, you were putting some honey in some tea there. So I'm wondering if you have go-to tips for people with regard to protecting the voice. For me, it's warming up. Just make sure you warm up your voice and, and do the exercises to keep it pliable, to keep it healthy, so to make sure that when you go to sing and do shows that you're singing from the right place in your voice and that you're bringing the chords together and really letting the voice make it sound with, versus pushing, which is what I did for years. Not, I never hurt myself really, but I wasn't doing it properly. And then one time I did actually kind of, I got what they call nodules on your chords because I was singing like I, I did the 70s tribute and I was singing soul and like kind of rock and rollish kind of vibe I could feel my chords getting tired after a few you know night after night after night and when I went to the ENT doctor the ear nose and throat doctor they definitely verified that and I went on vocal rest but then that's when that was the impetus for me to really start taking lessons and understand what it is that I was doing with my voice but I would say for me I think personally it's, it's not only about taking care of your voice, it's about taking care of your whole 
being. So I would say exercise regularly. Like I finally got an opportunity to run on the beach this morning, which I miss doing from when I used to live blocks away from the beach. I think stretching your body, because when you sing, you want to have full access to your whole self. It's not just your throat and your abdomen and your mouth. I think it's also, you want to sing from your toes. Sometimes you want to like, you know, feel like your, your knees have something to do with all and your hips. You want to give it. And then I think meditating is a great thing too, just to kind of um, center yourself. And I think dreaming, having dreams, but really thinking to yourself, okay, what is the world giving me? What do I want to do? What more do I want to do? Because I think if we get stagnant as human beings, then our voice becomes stagnant. And what are you going to say? What are you really sharing? So visualizing that sort of a thing is going to manifest it in many ways, I, I suspect. I mean, I've always thought that you have to declare yeah. Like you can't say one day I'm going to write a screenplay. You you have to say I'm writing a screenplay. You have to put it in the present. That's right. And you have to really commit to it. And like I'm, I'm working on writing something now. It's funny you mentioned writing. And as I think observing life, like if you're going to write, you need to observe life and make note of life. And so catch yourself like be committed to it. So I know I'm, as I see things or hear funny things or things that I think would be a good thing for the story that I'm writing, I put it in my phone and I have a note, you know, to, so yeah, just catch your, catch yourself thinking and, 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 and capture those moments because it's like a dream. If you don't write it down, it's gone. You, you're barely ever going to remember. Yeah. It. I also, I used to always refer to that as the Bermuda triangle of ideas. If you're walking with a friend and you have the idea and you don't write it down when you get back, you go, oh, what was that I was talking about oh. when we passed that one oh. store? And it oh. tortures you. It's Even if it was not a great idea, oh, it it's better to have written it down and and not kill yourself over the phrasing for the song or the or the punchline to the joke, whatever it was you were thinking at the time. Yes. And, and when you talk about writing, it's so true. One thing I didn't quite understand when I was a kid, and the teachers would say, talk about the what and the where and the why and all of that you know, like go through those questions. It, it is invaluable to use your senses when you write. So as you said, when you're observing something, what are the other sounds happening around there? What is the smell of the place? How do you describe? And music, songs do it so well, and every lyric you sing, it's not just uh, the moon in the sky. It's under an August moon. It's a very specific vibe that tells us the temperature, tells us the time of year. And that's just a few words. It makes all the difference in the world. Isn't that so true? Yeah. Isn't that funny how the word August tells you so much? Sure does. It's like, I mean, for us in America, it's that's summertime. It's the moon. It's, you know, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And to me, it even brings back an autumnal sense that I like heading towards October when people are putting sweaters on and doing you know, it, you know, there's something mm. lucky about that time of the year for me, you know, there's something comforting mm. Mm. to some people about living near the water or facing mountains when they wake up, everybody's got a thing. And I will say theater's my Jones. So I see theater playing out in regular life. I see dialogue in restaurants that I say I'm watching a movie and I don't want to step away because it's fascinating but i'll be in a movie theater oh, or somewhere where i'll see a forum and and i always feel like before this movie starting something's missing somebody should be up there 
singing or telling a joke. I see an audience hungry mm. and I, I don't know why, but that is always a, a, an interesting feeling to join a community in a state of anticipation for something. I love that. It's such a good point, right? That is such a beautiful time of, of a night. Like, I mean, I, you talk about an audience in like a theater. What an energy that is, right? What an energy that moment is. I'm just listening to what you. I don't know. It was captured by a photographer in a photo that I have in my home. It was in an Italian place. I think it was La Scala, which is a multi-tiered theater of note that had all these balconies. And there were two women on the edge of the balcony. You can tell it's just before the show because they have their programs out. And the oh, moment yeah. that the photographer captures the eye of the woman, you can see oh, this gallery of people all around her. And I just, I look at it and I always think that's the people we're speaking to as performers. We're speaking to the person who comes to invest their time. They vote with their money and they want to change something about their day or their week or their life. Mm. And they come and they give that moment to us to take them somewhere to, to transform them, to have them go home uplifted. I, I, I feel like that's what we all want. It is true. That is what our job is. People didn't leave the house to just not feel great. <laughs> you know, you're, it's your job to take them somewhere and to like, them on a journey yeah uplift them that's so true you're also amazing with your diction and your clarity is this something that were you always articulate your whole life and did singing some of these specific lyrics and things scanning a certain way teach you to to keep that really clear i have no idea where my diction came from like why why i speak so clearly i mean sometimes i when i'm in the studio I have to do a little less of it. I, I don't know how, I guess, just good parenting, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I guess maybe it is an environment, but it, it's really interesting when you get into those phrasings, how important hearing every word is. Mm, it's true. There are many times when I'm listening to music, particularly contemporary music, and I'm like, wait, what did they just say? What, what are they saying? I, I'm thinking I'm going deaf which it doesn't mean I'm not, but, um, but yeah, when I can't understand the lyric, it's, it makes it kind of pointless. <laughs> kind of futile. Well, it's funny also because I come from writing and comedy. Words are also very important to, to the rhythm of things and the punchline, but I also hear storytelling lyrics differently. So you have a very sultry version of uh, midnight at the Oasis. And I was listening to that the other day. And it's funny where I started actually hearing the words and going, what in the world? Does that ever cross your mind? Because it's like, like I'm okay with the, the location. The Oasis is a great location. <laughs> but then they say, let's slip off to a sand dune real soon and kick up a little dust. And I'm thinking, that's not sexy. If you've ever been on the beach, it's not, a, it's not fun. Right. So be sandy and nasty and lots of, but let me tell you, if you, if you really think of somebody that you want to do that with, um, I can think of, <laughs> I wouldn't mind getting dusty with somebody. I'm all for the getting dusty. It just, I mean, with the person, but it does feel like there's some pretty funny, <laughs> the words kind of feel a little, you know, the cactus is our friend. I get it. I get it's quiet out there. It's lonely, but I think I want to, I don't want to be near a 
accidents when I'm having sex. You know what I mean? Like not whatsoever. No, but I think I think that song. You're right. It's so sexy. There are so many entendres and or, or you know or just play on words that I think are so cute. My favorite is the third verse where she says. She says, I know your daddy's a sultan, a nomad known to all, with 50 girls to attend him. They all send him. They jump at his beck and call. Well, you won't need no harem, baby, when I'm at your side. And you won't need no camel, oh no, when I take you for a ride. I just think that is the hottest thing to sing. I just have to contain myself when I sing those lyrics. No, I think it's uh, really hot too. But I, I heard you sing the words, I'll be your belly dancer, and you'll be my... And you will be my chic. Chic, right. So previously to your singing it, what I heard was, uh-huh. I'll be your belly dancer, <laughs> and you can tend my sheep. And I thought, what in the world? That seems like a weird role-playing <laughs> exercise out there in the desert. A little too much information right there. Yeah, yeah. That's but, hilarious. That's, no, that's the funny thing about lyrics. When you when you realize what the real words are, yeah. Somebody told me the other night. They told me some lyric that was very entertaining. Well, you could update it. You could said you won't need no camel. <laughs> send an Uber instead. You know, you can. You know, kind of a modern version of it. That's hilarious. No, yeah. You're really known. For, I mean, there's lots of love songs in your catalog here. Mm. I mean, it's really, mm-hmm. this is the thing that candlelight dinners are are made of. So do you have a favorite love song to sing? Yes, I do. And I sang it the other night when I was in San Francisco and I don't get to sing it a lot and, uh, because I, it's such a moody, I, you know, I have so many moody songs that I've recorded that I'm like, okay, I'm, I really just should make my show like down tempo more often, just like a Chardage set, set sometimes because I have a lot of songs like that. But I also love groove music too so much, like the up tempos and the and the really up songs. So I, I've been putting more ballads in my show, I have to say, of late, and I'm really delighted for it. But Moon River must be one of my favorite songs. I mean, it's just a perfect song to me. I love that song. Then I have another song that I barely ever sing live, but it's one of my it's probably one of my most playlisted songs called make it last. And it's not a popular song. It's not a song people know unless you've heard it on these various Spotify lists. It's again, it's very sexy and sultry and just very moody, very moody, very dinner. Like you said. So yeah, I really like those kind of songs. I, my, I'm, I'm in love with this latest um, CD, the tune called love and affection by Joan Armatraden. I love it because of the topic of love, the perspective of love that she discusses, which is one of the favorite lines, and that is, if I can feel the sun in my eyes and the rain on my face, why can't I feel love? And it's such a, Mm. just a deep question. And I think all of us as humans at some point ask ourselves about being in love, like, how much more can I feel or what is it? I love those kind of love songs. That's probably some of my favorite perspectives, but I also like the hopeful moon rivers as well. Yeah. Well, you had a chance to sing moon river 10th anniversary celebration single or something that I saw on your playlist. Mm-hmm. So people can find your stuff all over the place on uh, Amazon music and Spotify and wherever they can spell Nicole Henry. But I did notice that there is a tremendous amount of, I guess, what you would call unrequited love songs in the mm. world. 
I think human beings by nature struggle with the idea that they deserve to be loved. Mm, yes. It's a sad statement I'm making, but, but the truth is until they experience somebody caring uh, beyond their opinion or their silliness that care enough, and you see it later in people's lives, you see it when people care for the elderly or take care of uh, somebody with disabilities, wherever you see a, a love that is sort of pure. And I think when you see that on a park bench or anywhere you see it and you think, why can't I have that? Is it something about me? Do I, you know what I mean? I think that people are always in a state of self-criticism and I, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know, but, but on this show, we often talk about how often artists feel about being a fraud or an imposter and it's completely unnecessary self-sabotage that people are looking at a lens judging themselves when most of the people passing by aren't even thinking about them. Wow. Yeah. It's so funny how much I love to sing about love and I don't think I've ever really given myself the opportunity to be in love and really, or enough. My heart is breaking. Well, I I was in love once. (laughs) I mean, a couple of times and, and then I just kind of fell out of love. It was like it, it lasted for the time that it needed to last. And then love and how we can express love and receive love is going to change at, at different ages of our life. And if you're lucky enough to have one person or two or three or four people, but you're with somebody at that time that you trust that you can practice loving because really it's, it's life is a practice like yoga and meditation. It's like, we're not perfect at this, but just the desire and the trust. I know a lot of us want to think that we are to be with one person for X amount of time and you do want to, I mean, I think reality is we do want to try to stay with somebody, one person that would be amazing to like commit and be there. But I think also as humans, I mean, this is a, my perspective. I, I'm Christian and I know sometimes people say, you know, they get married and it's forever. But I also think that when we grow, sometimes we grow apart mm-hmm. if we don't mind or really take care of, or, or we just become different people. I don't know. I've never been married. So like you said, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a family planner or anything. Like that. But I think sometimes we cheat ourselves out of seeing what is really in front of us and we settle mm. for things. And love, love is timing. Mm. Love is timing. I mean, we meet people and we, we, you know, we think we can love them and we can show them what love is or help them love and love themselves. And then and then maybe that was our job. Maybe that was our quest. Yeah. And then we're like, okay, I'm over. Now it's time to move. Who knows? I don't know. We all have different reasons for wanting to love and wanting to give love and share love. So I think we just have to be honest with ourselves and be honest when it's time to move on, which is so hard. I mean, I've had hard times breaking up with boyfriends and I, and I wasn't even married. I didn't have yeah. kids. So it's like, I can't even imagine what it's like to be married and moving and living with somebody and all that. So I, I'm not a professional at all about the topic. I just sing about it. No, no, I know that. But I, but it is interesting to talk with somebody about it. Again, we don't know each other, but, but I've been single. I've been engaged to someone for a period of time that it didn't, oh. didn't pay out. I was married for many years. I'm divorced. I don't really identify uh, by any of those things, but I do look at them as notable chapters in life as a part of who I am. And I feel like any moments of love are a little bit about an awakening. How do we see ourselves in the reflection of that other person? And really it's love is a combination of things that involve trust and respect. And those are things that make love crumble too, is that 
opinions change or ideas change or where we talk about growing apart, you're not co-writing that story. So the other person, you can't own their biography. And if they choose to go another direction, it's very, very complicated. It seems to me that when you have a love that's built on some sister or mother, somebody where you go, okay, even when I'm mad at this person, I love them. <laughs> love is a muscle that can hold a lot of capacity if we let it, mm. right? But if we constrict mm. it, there's mm. no, like once you put a firewall around your heart, it's it has a little bit to do with self-love. You're, I mean, look at, I sound like, like I'm, mm-hmm. I run a show on on experts of love. I'm just, <laughs> Relationships, no, but but it's I think true. the vulnerability right. is sort of key. If you aren't willing to be vulnerable or risk that vulnerability, then the full experience can't be accessible to you. And then yeah. the hardest part is when you do that, the hurt hurts deeper. It's just there's just no way you you get wounded a little deeper. I'm only saying this because I've been listening to your love songs for. 48 hours. And, 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 you know, it is funny, depending on where you are in your life, if you're in a state of, of loving, any song can kind of become a love song. And if you're in a state of frustration and you're closed off, often it's like, oh, that's crap. (laughs) You're kind of living in the negativity and therefore. Man, I want to be in love so badly. I really do. Just like I, of late, I just realized how much I want to be in love. Oh, well, I wouldn't publicize that on a podcast because oh, you'll get oops, sorry. <laughs> you'll get bombarded with No, I you know what? It is I think it is everybody's desire. And there are times that we can be so busy that we don't think about it, and there are other times that we're traveling or we're lonely. To me, it's much more about the adventure of sharing experiences and discovering yourself through another person and yeah. And realizing what you want to share. And I think in love, you celebrate your own self as much as you celebrate the other person. Yeah. Romance is an opportunity to be together, but it's also a place where you share, you get that earlier anticipation. We talked about theater. I think love puts you in when you anticipate tonight, the date, the meal we're going to make, what we're going to do, where we're going to go, let's plan that trip. What are we going to do when we go there? And also, you don't want the night to end. Oh. You don't want it to be over. Now, do you feel a heavier responsibility because of being a purveyor of love songs and romance that people's expectations are different of you when they're in a relationship, let's say? Oh, it's been so long that I've been in a relationship. I couldn't even tell you what that, <laughs> what, that, what it feels like. I don't know. I don't think so. I have no idea. I don't know what men think. I just, I, I, yeah, it's been so long since I've been in a relationship where I'm really turned on by somebody in every way. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, I guess I was thinking like a massage therapist. If you dated a massage therapist, mm-hmm. you had the anticipation that they would come home from a full day and you'd get your massage. But that would be the last thing they would want to do. I would think they would be like, hey, I've been doing this for eight hours a day. I'm not afraid of relationships anymore because I, I think before I thought relationships, I really had a fear of them because I'm like, I don't know what I can give you. I don't know if I'm going to be able to give you enough. I don't know if you what you want from me and if I'm going to be able to be there for you. So I think I had a fear that like I wasn't committed, but I also, now that I know a little bit more of what I want in a person, now I know I'm not going to make the wrong decision because I think I have a, such a large capacity to love that I have a tendency to 
lead somebody on or, or love them, but then be like, oh no, I'm not in love with you actually. So sorry, we have to turn this off. And I don't want to do that to somebody um, because it takes me a while to really realize if I'm really in love with somebody or if I just want to make somebody feel good as far as like be loving. Yeah. And I don't mean necessarily just in a sexual way. I just mean like, yeah, when I, let me talk to you. Like, what's going on? Who are you? And, 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 and make somebody feel alive. But then you discover you don't really like them. And then it's like, oh, sorry. Okay, bye. Yeah. Not, but it's just not, it's not your responsibility to love everybody. You just got to find the one that turns you on. And that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you have a generous heart and you obviously are a person that knows how to make people feel good. You mm-hmm. tend to people's happiness. I do care about yeah. that. I do. I really love making, you know, trying to make people happy. And that's, and that feels such a, that's a good feeling. That's a good feeling. We all have the capacity to do it. Yeah. We really do. Yeah. And it can be confusing. You give people attention or you, what's most interesting is when you see people and they feel seen by you, then that opens up a different sense of what the friendship is, I think. And then I'd say that from a standpoint of fans or of distant observers that they get to know professional entertainers or movie stars in a different way because they are mm. they're kind of hearing things in a very personal way. So that can be confusing yeah. i think but all right well enough of the uh, enough of the right. love talk <laughs> let, <laughs> love. <laughs> let me share a taste of your music with this cut of a little time alone written by doug emery yourself nicole henry matt pearson john stoddart and featuring kirk whalem Every time the phone would ring I'd find myself answering Not saying what I could Well, who am I anyway? It seems to me I'd always say Everything would do me good When did I, how did I lose control I'd close my eyes to what I've been searching for And all of this seeking is making me weak And I need a little time What other kinds of music do you turn to mm. in, 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 as the soundtrack of your life? Some of my favorite, and I can't, I can't like put them all in a box. I would say like I like Leon Le Havis, I like Laura Umvela, 
I like, I love Fiona Apple. Oh my goodness. I just listened to her the other day hiking. I love Damien Rice. I like some of Coldplay's albums. Uh Lenny Kravitz. I used to really love Lenny Kravitz. Yeah, so it's really all over the place. I tend to I tend to like singer songwriters and a little more obscure, you know, a little yeah, some little tinge of rock and roll, but a tinge of sadness. Like Fiona Apple gets me. I could I just listened to her first two albums last week when I was hiking. Oh, had a chance to go hike Big Sur for a couple of days. And I was like, Oh my goodness, these are like timeless. It's so yeah, good. But there but there's some draw to sadness. You feel a there's some bittersweet sense to mm-hmm. follow that emotion yep i love i love that sadness kind of yeah and um yeah always well have. you sing so many standards and jazz classics and i know you put on a christmas album did you have a favorite song on that christmas album you know what i love on that holiday album? i love oh holy night mm-hmm. it's just such a beautiful perfect song i think that fall on your knees to hear the angels sing. Yeah, I love that. I love that time. I can't wait to record that in the studio sometime. Yeah. Actually, I oh, keep saying I need to do a holiday album every <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait, I got to do it soon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I see. You would have to do it now for the time of release. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Is your newest CD, Time to Love Again? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's CD number eight. I'm, I'm so delighted for that CD. My... My producer, who is my piano player of the last 12 years, he did such an incredible job producing that with me, and um, I just, I'm just so grateful to him for that. But I love that album because it, it includes my four band members that we've been working together for at least 10 years together and touring all over the place. So, And when you work with a band for that long and basically create a sound, I mean, my sound, I go to them with my songs and ideas of arrangements and then basically they come up musically with these arrangements and we both work on the form and the energy it's like a family that cds really marks a time in my life of people that i love working with and uh yeah and songs that i love singing and do you write original music as well a little bit a little bit not that much i'm gonna i want to continue to explore that but it doesn't i mean i'm actually a little more excited to write this project that i am to write another song i don't know what it is i I like collaborating with songwriting but i think i need to fall in love i think that's like you mentioned imposter and i know sometimes as artists we feel like but i think when it comes to writing songs i feel like i need to fall in love i don't want to before i start sitting there writing about stuff i really want to do that so yeah you don't want to write the corporate jingle for love you want to write it from the inside out exactly Yeah, yeah Yeah, I feel like, yeah. yeah. I don't think you can describe it any other way. I mean, I feel like there are excellent songwriters that know how to use buzzwords and know how to put people in scenarios. But boy, oftentimes they are writing some little part of that is from an experience they remembered, even if they're not in that state. But when you are in that state, I think your blood tingles differently. You wake up smiling, you're doing you know, it is, there is something about the euphoria of it that it's a, it's a different kind of drug to be observing the world through because you care less about things that are a distraction when you're in a state of love versus looking for something. It feels like there's judgment when you're looking. 
Yes. Well, I, I'm, I'm writing down something you just said that I think is a perfect song. And as I talk about, I need to wait to write, to be in love to write a song. That's a song right there. There it is. So I, I like I'm going to write a song about wanting to be in yeah. love. Yeah. And also, I'm making notes I mean, my photos. this I is a writing session now. So you should be writing about how you <laughs> feel about the wait because that's where you are. And I think that's really the best way to write is to write from the mm. moment of the feeling where you yeah. are. That's right. The pandemic That's did right. that. And I, the uh, pandemic really forced, uh, some people stopped. They were frustrated. They couldn't perform. Mm. And other people really opened up their heart. They wrote about where they were and how frustrated they were and how we couldn't gather. And there, mm. a, a, an amazing amount of, uh, of songs were written that I saw on Facebook and other places where people just on their couch or from their closet saying their heart out mm. and I got, you could see mm. it. You could just feel it wow. and you go, Oh, that's yeah. how music works. This is transferable. I'm having that emotion, but I can't voice it and I can't sing, but I can listen to it and I can identify with you. And we don't, that's Anne that. Lamott, I don't know if you know that author, she wrote a book called bird, mm. bird by bird, but she said, we don't have to get together before we show up for each other. And, and I think that that's what that moment of people writing on their own and then sharing with other people kind of allows us mm. to heal independently as long as somebody births something into the yes. world that we can latch on to. Right. And I'll kind of hold on to. Yes, I agree. That's beautiful. And that's, that is true. It was, it was an interesting time and, and sad, you know, I'll do respect with all the loss yeah. that was experienced during that time. I wish in a way that our world could every four years take a three month break like that. I wish we all could just stop because, and like truly stop. Cause even, even the people on wall street had to stop. Like, I mean, like, I mean, they're, they're, they kept going, but you know, we had to stop and we were forced to just shut down and sit. I think it would be a, an incredible habit to get into if we could as a world but i know that'll never happen again and god willing it won't be for a pandemic but you know i guess these things happen but you, we can take personal detox from our cell phone and i think everybody knows when they do that when they visit with nature or when they turn off the the noise it is it's when you take a hike or something if you don't take your phone because you need it for pictures or if you just commune with yourself in that moment it, it reawakens things in your imagination, in your thought process. I feel like the phone dictates so much of our time and our day. And I, I sound like an old curmudgeon, uh, but yeah. I feel like I don't want to wake up and have a relationship with a black box on my bedside, right? I don't want that. I don't want that to be the thing that I look to see. Is there anything going on right now? So we all feel terrible when we're, scrolling for too long it's true isn't it crazy how we still do it we like oh, oh, i'll put it down put it you're like oh well, let me just look yeah to me the worst is the waiting till something worthwhile comes to quit that's the longest torture in the world looking oh my gosh looking at your phone and just like keep checking to see like what emails came in what text messages came in. oh my it's like you, it's really such a mind. It's it's insane. It's ridiculous. And I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, in a few weeks I have, like you said, I've been touring a lot and it's been such a blessing. I mean, it's a dream come true. It's uh, one of the things I was like visualizing and wanting in my life and it's happened. 
but I'm so excited because I have about three weeks off between uh, the 21st of March, end of March and beginning of April. And I'll, I'm going to go and try to do like an at least seven days of just silence by myself somewhere. But I'm, I'm glad you said putting the phone down because I think if I, if I can do everything that I think I need to do on my laptop. So if I do put the phone away and make it the last, you know, there are things you want to do. You want to write, you want to certain yoga that or you know certain classes or meditations but yeah i've got to figure out a way to not go to certain apps in the phone yeah it's a funny handshake because they've built it all into one machine so even if you think you're not gonna accidentally go to facebook or whatever it's just it's like a jar of cookies chasing you down the street you know you're eventually gonna that's turn a, around. that's hilarious <laughs> you know Okay, I'll have you know, if a jar of cookies follows me wherever I'm going, I'm going to eat the guy bag on cookie, but I hope it's not Facebook. I will say this, <laughs> this, is a little, this is a little writer advice, that you should also be writing analog. You should also have a pad and pen, like when you're on your escape. Not to say that you don't use your laptop, but your brain operates in two different ways. And that moment from your brain down your arm to your hand to the pad is a different I love it. system than the other. And I find, again, I write both ways, but if I'm on an airplane, it's just awkward to open my laptop and have the seat in front of me, pushing it shut and doing all that kind of stuff. And then I find that I write differently, mm. the flow of my writing, the yes. way my thoughts work. I agree. And I feel like people, younger people should know that both have value that you should be doing, especially if your diary is a diary or a memoir. There's something about working on your laptop that is mechanical mm -hmm. and then you can hate it and you can erase it. But if you write it on a pad and you, you know, then the scratching off is a little differently. You can't just start over in the same way you can continue, but it kind of forces you to look back at your work in a different way because we, we have that editor judgment hat on that we're quick to delete or quick to erase. But I would just say you shoot for flow when you're writing. So if you are stuck on something, you'd leave a placeholder. I mean, I did this when I wrote on sitcoms. Mm. I know what's going to happen here. I don't know exactly. I don't have the funniest words for this. I don't know that remote location that person is going, but I'll just put find funny remote location and I'll leave it and I'll keep writing. And then sometime when I come back, I can start a session Ooh. with Googling remote location. Is Iceland funnier than Greenland? Is I can do a little research and go, oh, if you were doing it in a form of a song lyric, you would be creating, let's say, a rhyming list or something, and that's different writing than writing the phrasing. But if you get hung mm -hmm. up on certain parts, then you're not working at all. You're you're fighting. You should you should be shooting for the least amount of fighting in your day when you're writing. Okay. Oh, I love that. Oh, thank you for that tip. Yes, yeah, so I was actually going to ask a couple friends of mine who were writers to give me some advice about about that so thank you for that that's and i do love writing with pen i can't remember if it was hemingway or somebody they used to end their writing sessions in the middle of a sentence and the reason is they could start their session already knowing what's happening next i feel like i heard something like that before yeah. that's really fun oh that's neat and also i know that leonard bernstein used to get up in the morning rumor had it he would say that he would write three bad songs to get them out of the way so that it would make room for the good song. What's so amazing about that idea or the notion of that <laughs> discipline is that 
you'll never get to the good song if you don't do those other things. If you don't make those failures or make those attempts, you'll never clear a path to where you really want to be in the writing. Give yourself permission to have courage with the blank page and don't write like people are reading it. Don't write like they're reading over your shoulder. Make no apology because that first draft is yours alone. When you go to turn it in, when you're going to take it to the publisher, yes, you Mm want to have edited. You want to be formatted. Yeah. You want it bulletproof, but don't worry so much about what people think about you when you're writing. A lot of writers like, well, I have nothing to say. Who would care what I was writing about? You would be surprised. Right, right. You would be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for that. It's true. It's like, that is the thing. What am I, what do I have to say? What's so important? You know, and then, yeah, but thank you. And people with difficulty thank in you. their life often think, well, who wants to hear from a guy in prison? And you go, you, mm. you have a leg up. You have a life in crisis that we can learn something from. And if you write from your experience and you tell us how you got where you are, you're, you have a story that has more value than the person that got up and ate their wee checks and put on their plaid shirt. Like there's, there's nothing happening in that life. So you have a unique perspective as the author of your own story. Even if you're using that as a jumping off point for other things, which is absolutely permissible. Isn't that interesting? A story about somebody in jail, how many books are there about or movies are there about people in jail that's really interesting. well some of that stuff comes and you see uh you see an author an unlikely author you see a person who whose life story is then so interesting that it gets optioned for the movie and then the movie makes the mm. actor famous and then mm-hmm. the actor receives the award and they invite that author to be in the audience like it's a long journey yeah but what that what's being wow. said all along the way is how much that person's life had value it had value in the writing. It had value in the movie. It had value to the awards, to the participant. Like, and there's a great deal of that example of people with hardship that a movie like The Blind Side, any, any mm-hmm. of these movies that could not have been a movie at all if some courageous person didn't take on that journey. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Right. So between love and writing, now we both have homework to do here. Right? I'm excited. <laughs> What advice would you give to people trying to find an original voice in this business? I loved learning new jazz songs by listening to a male sing the voice or, or maybe the female sing it once or twice, but then I would really walk away from hearing one voice sing it because I just didn't want that person's voice to be coming out of my voice. I always want to sing and when I'm singing, I want, to, I want to feel like I'm hearing myself talk to whomever's listening. So that's really important is to, one, not try to sound like anybody else because that they're already, they're already there. So really try to hear your voice, your speaking voice even, in the truth of your singing. Unless, of course, some people have stylized, you know, they do falsetto or something like that, then that, that's a different thing. But I think in general, you want to, you want to feel like you're talking to somebody and that and you you feel yourself actually being Nicole talking about this, these lyrics, but that's, you know, I, a jazz was perfect for me because I feel like I'm very hard headed. Like I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. So I would, I would hear the songs that were hits and that I fell in love with the melodies and the lyrics. And then I could just go on and be myself, be myself. I would say learn to trust 
your coworkers. Really lean on and don't be afraid to depend on your coworkers. But also know that you have to, in the end, it's all about what you do because nobody's going to dream like you do. Nobody's going to want what you want. Sometimes people may disappoint you, but it's nice to feel like you actually aren't in it alone. I don't ask for enough help personally. I don't ask my friends to, oh, can you come videotape me or can you show up or can you help me come to this gig because I need an assistant? You know, I, I think I think that's really important. I think working with a band is great. Like if you can write with a band and then everybody has the responsibility of going to get the gigs, then it, it, it makes the, you can do more and then you have less of a burden of doing everything by yourself. I, I just happen to do that because I, I work, I'm a bit of a loner as much as I love people and like love being around people and social, but I kind of just did a lot of it by myself, but, but I, I do, the journey is better when you have more people around you, I would say. So that's fun. And yeah, write songs. Like you said, what we're talking about, write songs. I think, I think a lot of times, I mean, I consider myself an artist. I do know that if I had more original songs, people would look at me as another type of artist. I've, I'm very comfortable with what my career has been, and I look forward to seeing what it's going to continue doing. But I do think songwriting is really important if you have a story to tell, and don't be afraid of trying. And then just use your common sense. <laughs> if you want a job, go find out where the jobs are and show up yeah. and introduce yourself. And nowadays, music and CDs and recordings are like a business card, really. It's like you're expected to have recordings. So you got to figure out how to make that happen. You really do. And it's different nowadays. It's different. I mean, I, I started my career both singing and acting. So, and I did that 10,000 hours is a is 100% proof, you know, sure proof. You really do need to put in 10,000 hours into this craft before you're professional, before you're really, before you have an idea of what you're doing. So how often do you practice now? I really do more of warming up my voice and trying to tackled new different songs that I maybe wouldn't have sung. I'm working on my falsetto right now. I'm really grateful that I have acting in my, you know, that I love musical theater and learning more. So I'm like taking on new, new musical theater, for example, auditions, and I have to master that sound or, you know, master that song. So I, 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 I'm glad that I have those challenges in front of me. I know right now I'm like, okay, what's the next album going to be? So I'm listening and researching songs for new ideas. I have another album on the, on the way to a Nancy Wilson project, nice. um, one of my favorite legendary jazz singers. So that's in the works. I've finished all the vocals. We're just finishing producing that now. So yeah, I think the toughest part about being in this business, but the most thrilling and exciting part is that you're in control of everything, everything. So you have to, call the shots. You have to make the to-do list. You have to set the goals. You have to set the, listen to your dreams and, and then you have to figure out how to make it happen. But it's also possible, very possible. And then it's also possible that you, you know, you take a break and maybe you do some kind of a job in between and then you come back inspired. So I mean, life is so, we're so lucky that we're alive today because we have grown up enough as a civilization to learn that it's not one thing anymore. It's, you don't have to be one thing. And so that's, that's a relief. But I think more than anything, just in life is just, just, you know, you ever read that book, you are a badass, mm. the, you know, that series, she's this, this, she's a great writer. I can't think of her name right now. That series of books is really inspiring. And I would, I would recommend doing some of those self-help 
books and motivational things because it's like going to church every week. We all need reminders of our divinity, of how special we are, of how, how amazing we are and what, how we're like what the stars are made of. We're, we're here to shine. So everybody, maybe you're not going to be a superstar, but you can be a superstar with at whatever you do. You know, you might, that, that's the typical idea of what a superstar is, but we all have our, our ways to shine. And I think that's so important of us for us to believe yeah. that. You have to live an interesting story to sing an interesting story. I think in a way, whatever parts of your life can be infused into what you present. I mentioned practice earlier and I read a Louis Armstrong quote that he said, if he doesn't practice for a day, he said, I knew it. Hmm. If I don't practice for two days, the critics knew it. And if I didn't practice for three days, the public would know it. So he was Mm. sort of, as you said, whether you're dabbling in one part of your career or another, it's great to have a daily practice. And that applies to your craft, to your health, to your faith. Every yeah. one of those things is something that you need to to keep uh, the dipstick checked every day, I think. So thank you so much for investing the time. I want to be sure that people know how to find you on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Amazon Music, YouTube. Nicole Henry, there's not an H in that. It's N-I-C-O-L-E, NicoleHenry.com. You will enjoy many beautiful song from her with her powerful emotional resonance and terrific phrasing and dynamic vocals. Thank Thank you you so much for sharing the time today. Thank you for having me, Pat. I'm really delighted for you and and your program and your podcast. Just really appreciate you having me on. And I'm excited to, we have to talk more offline. I want to hear more about your writing. And I predict, I predict love for you. All you got to do is get out of the way. Okay. It's coming. <laughs> yes, thank you. That's exactly usually always the thing, isn't it? <laughs> Cheers. Oh, I appreciate you. Let's close out today with more vocals from songbird Nicole Henry from her Time to Love Again album. Enjoy. joining us today. Take a moment to subscribe and we will hold your seat for more creative conversation and a weekly spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative with sound editing lovingly provided by Delilah Lovejoy. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp with additional production support and sanity provided by Tony Deo, Tucker Hazel, and Diane Johansson. Please feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help grow our creative community. 
You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or visit our website at creativityincaptivity.fun. You heard that right. It's dot fun because dot com is just too dot common and dot fun is so much more fun. Ciao for now. Staring at an empty page, stepping on a ghost lit stage, a circus of uncertainty. Your call.